Amen. Let's pray together, church family. Father, we're so thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The hope of life everlasting, the hope of the forgiveness of our sin, the hope that death cannot hold us. We're grateful, Lord, for the grace that you give and the hope that you give through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And today, as we celebrate him, as we rejoice together as the people of God, as we remember the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, not just on Easter, but every Sunday, I pray today, Father, that you will uh, just bring this into our hearts deeper than it has ever been before. And today, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that we continue to do, continue to sing and say, because it is in the name of Jesus, our living hope, that we now pray. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Take your seats. We are very, very glad you're here today. Uh, we are going to look in just a moment at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. In just a moment. Um, I, uh, before we do that, I want to I share... A story that I would uh, dare say has nothing to do with the sermon I'm going to preach, but uh, if you can make it work and uh, figure a way to weave it in, that's fine. But you know, I am um, I'm convinced, more and more convinced, that being a grandparent, and I know many of you are, uh, you literally do you you lose your mind. I mean, it's it's I mean, you literally become insane. And you lose your common sense, and you just can't, you know, you just can't make good decisions. The other day, you know, of course, I've told you before, uh, we had a hamster named Diggy. I did not tell you that Diggy left us last spring and uh, went off to find a boyfriend just to go off and visit, you know. So she lives out in the woods somewhere behind my house. Um, but anyway, I, I've got out, we got out of the hamster business, although I still hear every now and then, I sure miss Diggy. I sure miss Diggy. I hear that from Mikhail. Well, the, <laughs> the other day, um, we went to a store. I, I was actually looking for chickens. That's a whole nother story, and I and and I, I don't want to open I don't want to open too many screens. But I was out walking in my neighborhood, and a neighbor offered me a dozen eggs, which is like handing you a thousand dollars now. So I'm thinking, well, how, wow, how nice! And I thought, wouldn't it be a great thing to actually have a chicken or two, so I could have some eggs? So I picked up Michaela on Wednesday. Uh, we hang out together on Wednesday afternoon, and I took her to Tractor Supply, which is a good place to get chicken supplies and chickens. And I thought, ah, we might walk out with a little chick or something. But anyway, we went there. They didn't have chickens. So uh, I offered to take Mikhail to her favorite toy store. And we were going to go there for a moment to shop. And then as we were walking up to the store, there's a pet store on the right. And she said, Poppy, can we go in there and look for chickens? And I said, sure, we can go look for chickens. So we went in the pet store. Don't ever take your granddaughter into a pet store. 
unless you want a pet. So anyway, I got in the pet store. And I went in looking for a chicken. I came out with a hamster. So we got inside. <laughs> we got in the store. And of course, they had no chickens. But we looked. Can we look at the other animals? So we're looking at snakes. And I would rather she had gotten a snake. I mean, I just. But anyway, she wanted a hamster. So she saw this little lonely hamster. And, and she said, oh, Poppy, can I have it? Can we have it? Oh, I miss Diggy so much. Can we have a hamster? So I walk out with a hamster. I've got a hamster and all the stuff. Well, we get out in the car. The hamster's in a little box, okay? So it, it's in this little cardboard box. And I said, honey, just keep that closed till we get home. She didn't. <laughs> and I didn't realize that we uh, actually had bought a flying hamster. This hamster... <laughs> When she opened the lid of the box, this hamster flew out of the box. I mean, and started running around the back seat, and she's screaming, Bobby, it's loose, it's loose, I can't, you know, I can't catch it. And it disappears in her backpack, and then, and then the next thing I know, I'm looking down to the floor below me as I'm driving, and their hamster sitting there looking at me. And I'm going, so there's this hamster running around. I'm thinking, I'm going to step on this thing. I'm going to kill this hamster if I don't move it. So anyway, we, we finally pull off. We pull off at Fruit Cove Middle School. And I pull off. And, you know, she's melting down the back seat. Oh, he's going to get out. He's gonna. I said, honey, you can't get out of the car unless you open the door. And when you open the door, which I did do to catch the hamster, she got out. So she's now running down the sidewalk at, at, in front of Fruit Cove Middle School. I'm running after this hamster. I finally catch this. It also like sets land speed records for fast hamster. So I, I get I get Chunky, the name of the hamster, in my hands, and I get her back to the car and get the car door closed. But then she gets out again. She gets away from me. She squeezes out somehow. So she's now running around the floor again, and I'm going, okay, I got to catch this thing. So I finally grab it. I squeeze her a little hard, just 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 to catch it. You know, just hang on to it this time to get it back in the box. And it squeals a little bit, which hamsters can do. Um, and, and, and Michael's like, Bobby, don't hurt it. Don't hurt it. Don't hurt it. So I said, open the box. So we put it back in the box. And, and so I'm, my heart's beating. I'm, you know, uh, we finally got it all together and I pulled out of the parking lot. My granddaughter is now sitting in the back seat, talking into the box, saying, Chunky, you're okay. He didn't mean to hurt you. <laughs> He's just an old man. Now that's what she said. That's what, that's what she said to me. So that's, I don't know how your week has gone, but that, that's, uh, that's pretty much. And I, that, again, this has nothing at all to do with this sermon, but I don't have a therapist, so I needed somebody to be, be able to talk to. So thank you, for, thank you for listening. You did a great job. Thank you for that. But anyway, so we'll see how the continuing store saga of Chunky the hamster goes. But I'm telling you, that thing is speedy. He is a fast, fast, fast hamster. So, All right, so Proverbs 3. Let's read the Bible together, and let's talk about, this is our third sermon on giving. And uh, I want to go back to, again, I'm just trying to take us back. You know, I figured, did the math, I've been here 30 years. That means I'm rounding the corner of preaching on giving about 100 times here. Did you know that you've heard about 100 giving sermons from me? Because I do three a year, and uh, probably more than that on some years. So um, 
Anyway, we're going back to some foundational stuff here. Proverbs chapter three, you know, in the Bible, the Bible talks about faith in about probably 500 references, around 500 references on faith. Another 500 on prayer. Very important. 500 times you mentioned prayer, prayer and worship, faith, belief. But it mentions money 2,000 times. Now, if you tell somebody something 2,000 times, there's probably a really good chance that, that this is really important. But let's don't, let's don't get the wrong thinking in our minds here. It's not important because God needs your money, because God does not need your money. God's not broke. Heaven is not going under. Heaven is not going bankrupt. They're not going to have to lay off angels if you don't give, okay? It's not that kind of thing. And, and we have to get over this thinking that somehow we can give God back his own money and make him richer somehow. We, we're not enriching God in what we give. But you will enrich yourself by giving. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. But it's true. You can't make God richer by giving, but you can enrich your own life if we get this mastered in our lives. Proverbs chapter three helps us do that and reminds us of a very foundational thought, and that is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Lord, teach us this truth. Bring it into our lives in a way that maybe we've never thought about before and help us to be obedient to you in this and all things that we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So, money's important. Not because God needs your money, but because if you do not get this right, money will own your heart. That's what happens. It has a power over us. Uh, and, and this is a very, very can be a very devastating power sometimes. You know, the Bible does not say you can't serve God and the devil. We understand that. It doesn't say you should not serve God in money. Did you know that? It doesn't say that. It says you cannot serve God in money. There's a difference. Doesn't say you shouldn't. Doesn't say it's a bad idea. It says it is impossible for you to serve God in money. That's what Jesus said. You can't serve both. So you need to make a determination. What is it that owns your heart? Your finances determines your affections. Money will own you if you don't master it. It will burn, let me just be real dramatic. It will burn your life down and it will wither your soul if you allow it to master you. Now I'm not being melodramatic here. I'm not being hyper, you know, I'm just not speaking in hyperbole. Everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. If God is the owner of everything, then we're not the owner. We're the manager of everything. We are stewards of everything. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. 
Therefore, we glorify God with everything that we have. The three words that I want you to just focus on for this message today, and hopefully take these three words with you today to think about. First of all, money is an issue of our heart. Money is about our heart. So the first word is heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Nothing in our life reveals our heart and our sense of what is really important like our use of money. Nothing reveals our loyalty more accurately than money. Money is a tremendous privilege, but it's not an entitlement. All right? Some of us have a lot of money, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. But we need to understand that it's not an entitlement. It's not that God owes you what you have. It's not an entitlement. It's a privilege. But it is God who gives us strength to produce wealth. God tests our hearts as well to see if we're going to trust him uh, or the things that he gives us as a blessing. We're going to do one of two things in this life. We're either going to trust in the things that we can hold in our hand and count in our bank account or somehow pile up in our resource bin or we're going to trust the God that we can't see but who owns everything and who made everything. One of two things. You're trusting God or you're trusting the things that God gives you and allows you to hold for him. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And we can say what we want about what our heart loves, but how we relate to money reveals our true commitment. And there are two test questions that we need to answer in this matter of stewardship. God gives you a test. And the test is this. Number one, can I trust God? Can I trust God? God gives you resources. He allows you to manage and steward resources. And then he says, I want you to give me this portion back can I trust God is the first question that we're answering with how we do with this question, with this issue of money. Secondly, and maybe this is even more important, God gives you resources so you can answer this question. God wants to know, can I trust you? Can you trust God? But God also wants to know, can he trust you? So if I give you resources, are you going to hoard them and keep them to yourself? Now let me tell you something. There's a lot more senior adults in here in this service than in the last. Let me talk to you. Senior adults are scared right now. Everybody's scared. If you're in retirement or you're in retirement age, everybody's scared. Am I going to have enough? Are we going to have some major upheaval financially and economically in our country or our world? Or, you know, am I going to make it to the end of retirement with money? And, and you know what? You know how I know you're scared? Because the giving in this church and across the board in churches is showing that people in that age group are giving less and less and less and less. Why are they doing that? Because they're scared. Test is still very real. Can you trust God? 
to do what he says? Do you really believe God is in charge of everything that you have? And can he trust you even now? Can he trust you? Now, I hear people say all the time, well, if the young people get more. Listen, the young people are doing okay. They're giving. But when we get up into some of the older demographic, that's not happening. So there's a question there that's, that's being wrestled with. Are we really going to trust God to take care of us? Or are we going to trust ourselves? The Bible says it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. One of the primary tests to prove that faithfulness is in our stewardship, giving the resources he's given us. Now, if you're trusting the Lord with all your heart, everything else will follow. Your decisions, your use of resources, everything will follow your heart. What you treasure and value the most owns your heart. So the question for you today is this. Does, does the way that you're using money right now what, using it meaning, spending it, earning it, hoarding it, or giving it, or, you know, is the way you're dealing with money right now, does it show you need some work on your heart? Do you need a change of heart? Does it show that you really trust God? And folks, I'm going to tell you something. I will tell you this. I will, I will, I'm not trying to be negative here, and I'm not a financial uh, prognosticator, but I will tell you this much. We're hitting some tough times. We're going to hit some tough times. Price of eggs isn't the only thing going up. We're hitting some really rough times. And we're going to have to really lean into the answer to this question. Can I trust God in spite of this? Or am I going to get scared and say, well, God can't handle this, so I need to do this my way. I need to stockpile more. I need to store more back. I need to hold on to more. 2,000 times. What is your relationship to money? Are you mastering it by doing what God says, or does it own you? Two answers. Secondly, it's not only a matter of our heart, but it's a matter of humility. Lean not on your own understanding. You know, humanity is in the mess that it's in today because a husband and wife, I hate to call people out, but their names were Adam and Eve. A husband and wife decided that they were smarter than God, that they knew more than God knows, that they were wiser than God. They decided to lean on their own understanding about how life should be lived. They unwisely took their own path and they lost everything because they leaned on their own understanding. Now, can that happen? Yeah, it happens to people all the time. Paul Tripp pointed out an interesting thought about the temptation account of Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said this, and I've never, it's such an obvious question, I've never even asked it before, and I thought, that is just really important. Here was the question he asked. Why was Eve willing to entertain a conversation with the serpent? Now get past the question of oh, what's, what's a talking snake? What's that? No, don't, don't worry about that. We know that represents evil. What, does, what was Eve doing talking to the serpent? Unless she already had in her mind what she wanted to do. And all he did was just kind of engage her 
in that conversation. But here's the thing. Eve knew the voice of God in her head. She knew what God sounded like. She talked with him every day. She walked with him every day. But now she had an alternative voice in her head saying, did God really say that? Can you really trust God with that? You know God just doesn't want you to be smarter than him, right? She already wanted to eat the fruit. She already wanted to do what God said don't do. But she leaned on her own understanding instead of believing what God said. Now, the only reason I'm telling you this today is because there's a much more personal question, and that is, why do we do that? Why do we listen to the alternative voice in our head? There's a lot of voices going on. There's a conversation going on in your head right now. Part of the conversation may be, I wish this guy would get done. But there's a conversation happening in your head right now. The, the person that speaks most to you is you. You've got a conversation going on in your mind right now. If you're conscious, if you're sane, you have this conversation that goes on all the time. And you're listening to a voice. You're listening to a voice that is either the voice of God or you're listening to a voice that is motivated by the enemy and determined to destroy you. His voice will always fan the flame of moving you toward doing things your own way, understanding your own path, figuring things out on your own. He is always stoking the fire of the flesh. And God says, this is what you're supposed to do. And what do we do? Just what Eve did. I know better. I know better. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Let's be honest. We do that. We lean on our own understanding. We listen to the wrong voice. There's a voice in our head that says, you know, the church is just trying to get your money. They just want your money. They're just a bunch of greedy people, and they just want your money. You know that's all this is about, right? This preacher's just trying to talk you out of the money in your pocket. Or there's another voice that says, I have a right to have the things that other people have. I work just as hard as anybody else. I'm honest. I'm a good neighbor. I'm a good person. I put in my eight, ten hours a day. I have a right to have as nice a car as they have. So what do you do? You go to the finance company and you get in debt further, right? Why? Because I'm entitled to have it. I want that house. I need that bigger house because I'm entitled to have that. God's given you clear guidelines on how to manage money. And yet we trust our own resources or our own research or we just follow our own inner desires and we wind up in massive problems. A micro decision, a small decision in the moment leads to massive problems. The reports have come out this year that more than 75% of American households today, more than 75%, are living paycheck to paycheck. If they missed a paycheck, they would not be able to survive without borrowing money to do it. The average American household saves less than $100 a month, and if they lost their income, they couldn't survive six months. 
Due to inflation, credit card debt has increased dramatically. And many people are struggling just to make the minimum payments. They have zero financial margin. No room for an emergency. No possible way out without digging themselves further into debt. What is that called? That's called leaning on your own understanding. That's what happens when you do it your way. When you think you can beat the system, you think you're smarter than what God says in his word. Trusting God, folks, let me just tell you something. It's just a matter of simple humility. Some of you today could take the first step out of your financial mess that you may be in by simply acknowledging, God, you are smarter than I am. And I'm going to do it your way, no matter what it takes. What's that take? Humility. That takes humility. You have to kill your own pride and say, God, I got it wrong. You know what else you need to do, dad, husband? You need to go to your family and say, you know what? I have led us wrong on this. I have led us into debt. I have led us in over our heads. I have led us upside down in our house, in our car. I've, I've put us in this mess because I thought I was smarter than God. And I'm going to repent of that thinking. And we're going to do this God's way no matter what it takes. Now, if you'd say that honestly today, first of all, in your own heart, and you tell those alternative voices to shut up, and you listen to what God says, it would be amazing what might happen in your life. I have seen incredible things happen when people make that turn. People that say, well, I couldn't get, I can't tithe. There's no way I can tithe or give. I can't do that. I can't pay my bills right now. Well, you know what? You're going to continue to be able to not pay your bills. And we got to, you know, this is, you know, you can, you can be careful with your money without being prayerful with your money. You can be frugal with your money, but not faithful with it. We think, well, maybe I just need to hold. So what you're saying is hold on to your money? No, I'm saying be obedient to God, whatever he tells you to do. If he tells you to stock it in a savings account, then fine, do that. If he wants you to invest it in something, do it. And there's nothing wrong with buying a house, nothing wrong with owning a, a, you know, a nice car, although you've got to understand you don't own anything. Let's get there first. You own nothing. Oh, yeah, I own the house. Okay, talk to me in 100 years. We own nothing. None of us. We're all renters. We're all better, the biblical word is stewards. We're managers of somebody else's property, God's. I told you a few weeks ago, it's a good thing to have when something breaks down in your house. That's a good thing to say, God, you know, hey, you're, uh, you're, you're, your dishwasher's broken. God, you know, that, refriger that refrigerator you have out in the garage, that's not working anymore. I mean, you've got, you've got some latitude to say that. There's some biblical truth to that. To say, God, you got a problem. How are we going to fix it? What do you want me to do to fix it? But it's not your problem because it's not your refrigerator. It's not your dishwasher. It's not your car. It's not your house. Not your clothes that you're wearing today. God has allowed you to have these things. 
you're holding on to these things for him. But since he's the owner, he has a right to tell you what to do with it. Wouldn't you agree? Isn't that the rule of ownership in our culture? If you own something, you have a right over it. He has a right to say everything that you have because he told you when you've come to Christ, if you're a Christian, I'm only talking to Christians today, by the way, there's, there's two, there's two kinds of verse, two, two kinds of passages in the Bible. You have, if you're going to read the Bible, understand you got to ask, is this passage helping me to become a Christian or is this passage helping me to live the Christian life? So I'm talking to people who are living the Christian life today. God owns you everything. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. No, it's my money. No, God gave you the strength to make money. God woke you up this morning. You're breathing right now because God's given you breath. You haven't earned anything. God said, okay, I'm going to let you go to work here. And then I'm going to, when you get done, I'm going to let you live here and drive that and wear that. Okay. But understand, I own it all. And if I ask you for something back, you're going to give me what I ask for because it's mine. As Corey Ten Boom said, don't hang on to things too tightly. Probably talking to me about the hamster. <laughs> don't hang on to things too tightly because it hurts too much when God pries your fingers open. Hold everything loosely, everything. It all can go away. It all could go away. Let, let's put ourselves in proper perspective here, folks. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord and say, hey, God, you know. You know, every sin we commit, every sin dethrones God's wisdom and enthrones our own. Every time you sin, you are saying, I'm smarter than you, God. I know better than you, God. I know you made everything. You created everything. You know everything about me. I know you put all that together, but I'm still smarter than you. All right? You're not. But if you're humble, you can say, yes, I understand. God's got it all figured out. I just need to do what he says. Third, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. The third H. First of all, heart. Second of all, humility. Third, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. Listen, you do not honor God with leftovers. Well, God, I'll give if, if I've got enough at the end of the month after I've paid all the bills and taken care of all the obligations I have and bought this and taken care of that and Fix that. You know, if I've got enough, I'll give something this week. I promise. Or next week. Next week, not this week, but next week I'll give something. All right. Let me just tell you right now. Let me, let me, let me just be really blunt. Keep it. You might as well. Because you cannot honor God by giving that way. Why? You're, well, because you're really not trusting God. You're almost bargaining with God. Well, God, if you give me more, I might be able to give a little bit more back to you. Uh-uh, no, that doesn't honor God. Honoring God means I'm going to trust you even when I'm not sure how the month's going to work out. God, I'm going to give you the first fruits. That's what, that's what this is talking about. 
In an agricultural culture that this was first spoken into, this was like the first part of your crop. Now, that first part of the crop is important because that's what you feed your family with. You know, if you've, if you've done, I haven't, but if you've done agriculture, you understand that first fruit, oh, that's important. That first, that first harvest, ah, that's really important. God says, okay, I want, I want you to honor the Lord by bringing that first. You give, you give to me first to show me that you trust me and that I can trust you. And then I'll bless the rest of what you have. We want it the other way around. Oh, God, I'm gonna do everything I can do to take care of myself. And then if there's something left, I'll bless you with that. No, God says, don't do that. That's not honoring. That's, that's honoring God is putting his word before your opinion, putting his honor before your ego, putting his kingdom before your own agenda. Honoring God means you trust God over your own wisdom. You, you need to let, listen, some of you really, I'm trying to speak to you. It's gonna save your life. Your life is burning down right now financially because you are not honoring God in this. You're doing it your own way, and you've got to stop it. You have got to honor the Lord in this. And, and listen, if you are not honoring God in your finances, then you are serving an idol. Well, I don't have a statue in my house I bow before. I'm not talking about that kind of idol. I'm talking about your bottom line income. That is the thing that you honor. That is what makes you happy. That is what brings you satisfaction, you think. If I could just have these things, if I could just buy that, if I could just own that, I'll be happy. How many of you have believed that lie in your life? Oh, if I just had enough oil, well, we're not happy now because we don't have, we don't have the right house. We don't have a good car. Uh, we don't have a great retirement. So I'm not happy now because, listen, there's nothing on this earth that will make you happy except God ultimately fulfilled and satisfied and happy except honoring the Lord. God not only commands us to release our income and be generous to give to him, but then he says this. He says, prove me. All he wants is to just, just, listen, I'm going to make it easy on you. I'm going to tell you, trust me, but let me just put me to a test. See if I'm lying to you or I'm telling you the truth. This is the only thing he ever says to prove him in. Prove me. See if I will honor my word to you in this or not. Oh, I don't know. That's, that's a lot. That takes a lot, doesn't it? It does. It takes trust. You know, have you ever thought about the fact that God really wants to bless you. He really wants to pour more out on you in overwhelming ways, but he cannot do it because you won't honor him. He is not going to honor you if you won't honor him. He is not going to pour out everything that he wants to pour out. I'm not talking about you give him $10, he'll give you $100. That's, man, if, if that was true, uh, Las Vegas and the stock market, everybody else would be into this thing. It's not, it doesn't work that way. I'm telling you, there are ways he wants to bless you you can't even imagine yet. He said, I want to dump the bucket on you. I want to pour out from the windows of heaven on you, but you won't let me because you won't trust me. He said, prove me. Put me to the test. He invites you to do that. Trust me in this by putting him first. 
And we do that by giving that which typically means the most to us. And for most people, let's be honest, in our culture, you know, our, our median income in about a five-mile radius of this church is around $114,000, $115,000 a year. That's a lot of money. We're, we're in the top 1% to 2% of richest people on the planet. On the planet. And you know what? That money can work its way to your heart. Mm. It can work its way into your heart. It can take over areas of your life that you never thought about before. But maybe, let's, let me get done. Maybe it's, it's something else you haven't trusted him with. Let, let's be honest. There's a lot of ways that we do things our own way, right? And, and maybe today you've got a burden in your life. You have a concern in your life. You have, you have a relationship in your life that's not going well. You have a marriage that's not going well. Your parenting's not going well. You have a sinful habit. You have a lifestyle choice. You're trying to figure it all out by doing what? Leaning on your own understanding. And in, your, in doing that, you are dishonoring God. You are not being obedient to God, but you're expecting God to bless you, and you get mad at God because he doesn't. Does he have your heart, first of all? Have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Have you stopped thinking, I can figure this out on my own? No, you can't. Are you honoring the Lord by being obedient to him in this matter? Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. It says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the unbelieving world seeks after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But as for you, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. Let me, let me tell you why I'm putting that in here. The other day, a little voice in my back seat, not the hamster, my granddaughter, said, Poppy, what's the verse of the day? I looked back and she had my Bible. She wanted to look it up and see it for herself. I says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. She looked it up, read it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things, oh, contentment, a, a, a good marriage, uh, financial freedom from debt. All these things will be added to you if you will honor the Lord. Seek God first. Begin by giving him your heart. C.S. Lewis said, if you seek earth 
Or if you seek heaven, you get earth thrown in. If you seek eternal things, if you seek that which is eternal and invisible, if you seek heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you seek earth, you get neither. Some of us today are working hard to get to the wrong goal. We're giving everything we've got, our time, energy, resources, talents, and our families, our homes running toward the wrong goal. That's going to leave you with nothing. Seek first the kingdom. Seek heaven. You get earth thrown in. Let's pray right there. Father, thank you. Thank you that you do give us wisdom if we ask it. It is available. It is given without uh, reproof. And we are grateful for the wisdom that you give, especially in an area as important as finances and how we make our income, how we use that which you have entrusted to us. Father, I know that it's not certainly not true of everyone in here. We're, we have a, a great record of stewardship in this church, but I also know there's some families in a lot of trouble financially. And they're not sure which way to turn. They're listening to a lot of different voices that are coming at them. But Father, may they clear the fog and may they hear your voice speaking to them right now that this is the way that they need to walk. That this is the way that they need to turn. That this is the way they need to follow you. And I pray you'll speak deeply to their hearts about that. And Father, for any who would come today as uh, the young lady, as we saw at the beginning in her baptism, who came literally out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light of Jesus Christ. Maybe that transition needs to happen in your heart today. And I pray that if you don't know Jesus, that today you will come to say, first of all, Lord, I give you my heart, and then all these other things will follow. Give him your heart first. And Lord, may that be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand together?